0: You're listening to the Alternative Investment Podcast. We give you the insights and strategies you need to grow your wealth with alternative investments. Now, here's your host, Andy Hagens.
1: Welcome to the show. I'm Andy Hagens. And today we're talking about the marketing revolution in private equity, really across the whole investment landscape, but especially in private equity. Joining me is Angela Wong cmo at first national realty partners angela welcome to the show welcome back to the show i should say
0: thank you andy i'm really (laughs) happy to be here and excited to chat with you today
1: yeah and you know you're like a a perfect guest or someone i really want to talk to about this issue because i feel like you and i maybe we see some things the same way because we are both of our careers are kind of at this intersection of marketing and finance and sometimes it feels to me like it's like left brain and, and right brain or, you know, what what's the saying? Men are from Mars. Women are from Venus. You know, all right, it's just right. it's like this awkward intersection. But wh- why don't we talk about, you know, how you came to be at the same intersection th- that I'm at and, and mm-hmm. you know, your career, your background?
0: Sure. So um, I actually started my career in legal marketing. Which is as creative as it gets, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I started legal marketing. Um, but what I learned is that I really like the business development aspect of it and, you know, working with lawyers on their story and their brand because, you know, the legal industry is really saturated with, you know, a lot of lawyers and too many
1: they, lawyers, yeah, right? Too There's many too many lawyers.
0: Yeah. <laughs> 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 so like, how do they differentiate themselves and the practice mm-hmm. groups? And, um, you know, I, I kind of fell into it because the practice groups that I would be supporting, um, always ended up being real estate technology and private investment funds, which I think, kind of feel like the universe was really pointing me in this direction. Mm. So I spent about a decade um, and, you know, my first uh, career, like my first uh, decade of my career in legal marketing. And um, I worked at Colliers International, which is a brokerage firm. So working with brokers. So I really had some hands-on experience there. And after that, I went back to legal marketing, working more exclusively with private investment funds. Um, You know, the firm that I was at, Paul Hastings, they worked with, um, you know, clients such as uh, Oaktree, uh, Starwood Capital, you know, some of the biggest private equity firms. And I was always really fascinated with how they raise their money, how they go after the institutional investors and so forth. Um, but I had a bit of a break and I wanted to just kind of get into tech marketing because, you know, what you talked about with the two brains, um, I think my role was very, very analytical and I thought I kind of want to be more creative. Because mm. I felt that maybe the legal industry wasn't really allowing me to be as creative as I would want to be, so I went into tech marketing, worked for some startups. Um, but again, the universe kept pointing me in the fintech. I always ended up with fintech products, and I thought, okay, there's something here, and I really enjoy it. And I'm a va- you know I'm very data driven. I like looking at data to make decisions about what we need to do as far as like the marketing strategy goes and, you know, what, how we want to target uh, people, because it's not about making pretty brochures and pretty websites, right? Like you have to have the right audience and you have to have the right targeting and the messaging. And I think that ultimately I realize I really like helping brands, you know, and companies shape their positioning in the market um, again, you know, with uh, industries like real estate and private equity, there's so many, um, you know, firms in this space. The competition is fierce. Yeah. So, And what I noticed is a lot of people are saying the same thing. You know, it's one stop shop and, oh, yeah, we're different because we have this and that. It's like, yeah, but how do we really differentiate ourselves? So um, I ended up um, being you know, uh, recruited into uh, being the head of marketing for Urban Catalyst, which is a real estate equity uh, firm based in California. And uh, that's when I really got my hands dirty into marketing directly to accredited investors. Mm -hmm. And um, now, you know, I've joined, uh, I joined FNRP back in January as their chief marketing officer overseeing the entire marketing strategy for the company. And um, again, both firms are 506C, which means it allows us to communicate directly to high net worth individuals. And that's fascinating, because before a lot of the uh, equity firms, you know, marketed directly through, well, not, I, I shouldn't say directly, they work more with uh, managing broker-dealers, broker-dealer right. channel and family office and more institutional. But 506C allows us to market and communicate directly to the investors. And I think that's where the real opportunity is for marketers like ourselves, where we have the creative mind and we um, have the digital marketing experience where we can run, you know, targeted ads and campaigns and we can really segment the audience, but ultimately we can do all of that really well. But what matters is what and how we're communicating. So I think I, that's I, sort of how we met. Yeah, you know? yeah no,
1: I, <laughs> right absolutely, absolutely. You know, and you know, you're you're preaching to the choir with this, you know, it, but I, I think financial services, especially the private equity world, it's, some some parts of the industry are are still kind of in the stone age, and even mm-hmm. even putting aside technology and skills and everything like that, even just mindset. You know, I remember I was at a, a conference one time speaking with a, a private equity fund GP, mm-hmm. and he, he used the phrase "just marketing." and Uh, i kind of i kind of understood what he meant (laughs) which is because here's the truth you know there's a lot of private equity funds a lot of private equity gps that have managed to grow have been wildly successful oftentimes leveraging you know broker dealer networks Mm -hmm. and all that and they haven't had to do any marketing so it's not like i would would blame this gentleman for using that phrase but i was thinking you know really only in this industry, or, or maybe there's like, a I don't know, government services or something, <laughs> but if you go to any other industry, you know, like even in fintech or e-commerce, no one would ever say just marketing, right? Like the, mm-hmm. the, the importance of marketing, it's like you, you live and breathe, you live or die based on, on marketing, which isn't just cost per click. It's product That's positioning. Right.
0: That's right.
1: Everything. So, you know, well, let's talk, you know, how how did things used to be, I guess. And we're going to talk about where they're changing now. But mm-hmm. even let's re- rewind the clock, you know, 10, 15 years ago in financial service. Let's talk about the bad old days. You know?
0: Oh, yes. I would love that. So I feel your pain with that because I think there's still that perception in this industry. So let's take us back 10, 15 years. Marketing equaled collateral. That's it. Postcards marketing materials, and we weren't even active on, um, I think, digital space, really. It was just Mm. collateral. You know, you create a really nice website, um, something pretty. And I remember my colleagues' international days, we would do these massive banners, printed banners, with just a bunch of graphics and infographics, and that was the value of marketing. We were really seen as a support function, not as a strategic function or unit of the company. Mm-hmm. and um i always thought yeah you know that part of marketing is valuable you know visually communicating our value is great but nobody really paid attention to the actual positioning element of it meaning like how do we differentiate ourselves and i think the only other thing that the industry really did is press releases and don't get me wrong i love pr like i <laughs> pr i have a yeah. background in pr and i absolutely love pr but pr to you know just Think press releases as PR is just really—it's almost offensive to all the professionals out there because press releases—it's just one small function of PR. You know,
1: PR—that's like PR to check it off your list to say that oh, we did PR because we released a press release. It's like you're not really—it's
0: not even chapter one. Yeah. So, (laughs) well,
1: do you do you think that you know your point about the the sort of very minimalist approach, shall we say? to marketing was that due to the audience because here's what i'm thinking you know if the entire model is is more around getting in front of advisors Mm -hmm. or having your product sold through broker dealer network and it's really it's almost just supporting the sales channel but that's right it's really the sales channel that's closing the sale and and so you know just i think naturally with some sales models marketing is actually less important, you know, like I get, you know, it's, it's, it's at the end of the day, if the investor, the retail investor, the consumer is not even going to see your brochure, you know, if it's only going to be seen hey. by the gatekeeper, or the advisor, it's kind of like, well, who cares that, you know, this is going to be sold based on trust between the advisor and the client, right?
0: Yeah, it's, uh, you're absolutely right with gatekeeping and the way that it's always been sold. I think it was really built on personal relationships a roster mm-hmm. of clients by these um you know reps and broker dealers so they really didn't need marketing to be strategic you know just you know i'm going to give you the talking points i know how to sell this product just put this together in one pager and let me take it to dinner or let me just you know just hand them out at the conferences and unfortunately. That's still going on, right? I don't think it's ever going to go away, which, you know, it's great. You know, it's all about the personal relationships when it comes to money. Of course, there's that element of that. But I think a lot of firms are realizing that they need to diversify the way that they raise money. So... I think that's where the whole 506C structure and being able to communicate directly to the investors is really important. Because here's another thing, um, with the broker-dealer channel, the high net worth individuals, I almost think that there wasn't much diversity in terms of the investors. A lot of these investors, you know, the high net worth individuals, it's either their generational wealth or they've been in the industry, it's the family and friends and people they know. Mm-hmm. But my experience from Urban Catalysts really allowed, allowed me to see that there's all these up and coming um, professionals and people that are, you know, building their wealth. And in the next you know, couple of years, five, 10 years, they're going to be the next generation of high net worth individuals. And the fact that like they and they don't have that network. They're the first generation of professionals making this money and building their wealth. And um, I think they're they're really going to be an important audience. But a lot of firms really aren't targeting that. Yeah and that
1: that generation is not going to have any loyalty to mom and dad's financial advisor correct. or or you know firm that asset management firm they're they're just not going to care they're just they're used to all products and services being direct to consumer absolutely
0: right? and them doing their own due diligence They want to look at the materials, they want to read, they want to consume the news and, um, you know, learn about different sponsors and um, how this, you know, how commercial real estate investment works. And I feel like the industry hasn't really tapped into the market yet, to be honest with you, like, I think. The latest article that I saw was something about 13.5 million accredited investors in the U.S., and some may not even know that they actually meet the requirement. So mm-hmm. I think that there's you know tremendous opportunity here, but a lot of private equity firms are still behind when it comes to that, um, and when it comes to technology, because technology really is a game changer. When it comes to marketing to these, you know, individuals, because now we have the ability to track everything, because here's the thing, right? When you um, have a brochure, a printed brochure and postcards, it's really hard to track the impressions. Mm You know, how many people actually take action? Yes, you can add a QR code and all that. But what about like actual engagement? Some people may be looking at it and, you know, like, do we have a touch point? Like, you know, do we have a follow up strategy in place? And I think with um, the emergence of like digital ad platforms like Google and Facebook that really came about like 10, 12 years ago. So just Mm -hmm. about a decade ago, it's really transformed the industry, but the industry hasn't caught up to it yet.
1: Totally, and I mean, I mean, I think if you if you run a private equity fund, it's almost like there's a fork in the road where Mm -hmm. you can sort of say we're going to stick with what we know, you know, five hundred six B or sell through a broker dealer network Mm -hmm. and go down that path, and then the other side of it is five hundred six C where you're doing that public solicitation, Mm -hmm. Um, and if you go the five hundred six C route. Now we need to have the skill set of talking to retail investors that's right, and that marketing skill set. and that I mean, I can see why a lot of asset managers, a lot of sponsors um avoid it because it's a big investment, and if it's something you don't have any experience with, back to that right right brain left brain thing it's it's mm-hmm. it's a whole different world. You know I guess when you see companies take that step. You know, obviously, you worked with Urban Catalyst, who, in the Opportunity Zones world, were I I would say at the forefront of you know really Mm -hmm. good marketing, absolutely direct to consumer marketing, and then now with FNRP, you know, obviously they're investing in marketing to the consumer. So you're working with these firms that are, I might say, on the on the bleeding edge, or you know, that are pushing the ball forward and are are Mm -hmm. willing to. What's really the difference between the companies that are embracing this and -hmm. the companies that are that are not?
0: I would say it's um, including marketing when it comes to outlining their vision and coming up with the business strategy. So I know that just sounds like a lot of like, okay, just corporate, you know, (laughs) but what I mean by that is, you know, going back to your point about someone making a comment about just marketing. Oh, marketing is support. No, marketing should be part of that discussion and have a seat at the table. And I think that's what's really differentiating um, Urban Catalyst and FNRP from my experience is that, you know, we're not just being handed down the tasks and say, oh, make this for a website. We're part of the discussion. So let's say that we have a goal to raise a certain amount of money or, you know, capital raise goal, fundraising goal. Um, marketing, you know, can outline, okay, so let's say it's $50 million for the quarter, or whatnot, uh, how are we going to get there? So let's look at the historical data, you know, how much did we raise at this time last quarter? And what were the most successful channels? What was the conversion? You know, how many prospects did we get in the door? And how what percentage of those people became investors? And looking at all of that, and making a decision and working with marketing say, okay, we need x amount of you know, investment into our marketing campaigns and mm. some of the tactics that we want to employ. And this is what we predict. So there's a lot of, um, it's also, it's almost like financial modeling going on in marketing where you hold yeah. these like cascade reports and projections. And I think seeing marketing um, almost being like a business, you, you know, like being a partner with marketing rather than seeing marketing as support. I think that's number one. And number two is, You have to have alignment between marketing and sales. And in this world, sales being investor relations, so many companies, it's still very disjointed. You know, I think a lot of marketers think, hey, you know what? I've done my job. I brought you the leads and I'm done. (laughs) And, you know, I always say your job is not done until we raise money. Hmm. And you have to be responsible and work with investor relations to get there. And so I think that alignment is really important because, you know, as you mentioned, like sales, they have the ears and eyes on the ground. They know what the objections are, you know, to um, our products. They know what the investors are happy about, unhappy about and marketing needs to pick their brain. Marketing needs to know what those pain points are so we can address it in the marketing materials. But if we're saying one thing, again, going back to the message, and we're saying one thing and sales is like, oh, they don't care about that. Well, then you need to tell us. Okay. <laughs> you know,
1: <laughs> like- I, I, Angela, I love that. I might even take it a step further and say marketing needs to align with sales, needs to then align with investor relations. Right. Absolutely. So then even after the capital is placed, what's the communication, what's the feedback, you know, after that investment, all of those should be aligned. But one really interesting thing you said, I didn't take it as, as corporate gobbledygook at all, you know, talking about the business strategy, because you, you brought up, you know, the, you know, analytics, Mm -hmm. budget campaigns that, that to me, that stuff is mostly tactical in that it kind of waterfalls down from strategy. Mm -hmm. But I think, Marketing needs to have a seat at the table at the very top level in the the entire company strategy. I think some people hearing this might roll their eyes at that. That's oh yeah, okay. I don't even care. You know, roll your eyes if you want, but but here's my point. You know, as a marketer, I would say, well, what's our unique story? How are we communicating our unique value to consumers or to investors in a mm-hmm. way that differentiates, that resonates with them, that ultimately closes the sale, raises right. the capital. And if you can't clarify that and communicate that for marketing purposes, that may actually be a sign of a larger problem, right? Which is if Absolutely. you don't, <laughs> that's its not even just a marketing problem. If you don't have a product that is truly differentiated that you can communicate that differentiation, that's a, that's a top level problem. That's not just a marketing problem, right?
0: Absolutely. And I think that buy-in internally is really important and i think a lot of firms ignore that that like every single person at the company should understand what the company stands for you know not only the core values but also the differentiators mm. so any organic conversation that you may be have you may be having whether you're in finance or operations everybody should understand you know what so what do you guys do you know what does your company do like how are you guys different the talking points should be aligned and I think sometimes a lot of these firms they don't even know. <laughs> Internally, yeah. they have no idea. So how do you expect to communicate that externally if there's really no buy-in and people just simply don't understand, you know, how we're different? So I think that's also really important. And to be honest, like it's actually very exciting. There's all these areas of improvement in the private equity space. But as a marketer, and I'm sure you're gonna feel the same way, like there's I mean, this means there's tremendous opportunities to grow. And really lead the way to get the private equity industry to where the tech industry is, you know, in terms of data analysis, tracking and, you know, uh, uh, you know, getting like media relationships and external partnerships and just diversifying into different marketing channels. That's beyond, you know, being on the golf course or having dinner, because let me tell you, that's not scalable. And I always say that every single yeah. company may start out with personal relationships but when you get to thousands of investors you are not going to be able to have that one one-on-one interaction and in order to be scalable and you know repeat the successful you know processes and tactics you have to have something that you can measure cuz otherwise how are you going to know that this is working and you know i think the um uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, um, the criticism that we get from being marketers is that we just spend money, right? We're just spending money. Oh, my <laughs> goodness. They spend X amount of money on this and that. What's the ROI? What's the ROI? And ROI is defined so differently from one organization to another. Mm-hmm. And what I've seen, and I talked to my colleagues in this industry, and when I ask them, what's the ROI on your Google ads? People, every single person has a different definition. So... It's interesting because that tells me that you really have to get on the same page with your stakeholders, with the rest of the executive team and see okay what is the ROI for us for the company? Is it the cost of capital? Is it the cost per acquisition or is it um, you know how just ultimately how much money we raise it doesn't matter how much you spend but w- if we hit 50 million dollar goal, I don't care if you spent millions of dollars. So that ROI, people just you know throw that question around but nobody really knows. And you can define it different ways. And even with data, you can analyze it in different ways. So you have to be on the same page because marketers may be saying, saying it this way, but you know, the rest of your exec team may be thinking, mm, no, that's not how I saw it. So I think right. having a seat at the table and allowing uh, marketing to really speak and talk about like, hey, this is a data. Let's take a look at it. Let's have a discussion so that it's not a, um, like a trickle down effect. You know, like I think that's really, really important. And again, a lot of marketers are, um, I don't think I find a lot of marketers having this experience and more and more people are coming and learning and coming up to speed because, you know, people that are in tech marketing, they get it. I mean, they're at the for, you know forefront of it. They get Salesforce, right. HubSpot, they digital marketing, they're the experts. But I really encourage marketers in that space to You know, think about fintech, think about financial institutions and private equity, because, man, like this world is just awesome. I mean, I love this industry because seeing how people can build their wealth, you know, that's that's huge. And you're helping them to not only build their wealth, but help them with their, you know, passive income stream and just really understanding that like, hey, you know, it doesn't really have to be investing in your home anymore. Like you can actually get access to these institutional quality real estate through us. And why us why you should trust us, you know, take a look at the executive team, take a look at our experience, and really build that lifelong um, relationships and that trust. It's just, I I really love it, because there's just so many opportunities here. And I really encourage people to, you know, look into this industry, because you can add so much value. And compared to 10 years ago, versus now, I think more and more people get Google ads, more and more people know how to do ads. But here's the thing. You can do it. Doesn't mean you're going to do it well. And that's where the data analytical skills really, really, um, you know, can differentiate yourself, like, you know, can differentiate you from others because you can just, you know, put a bunch of words together and just run it. But is it really going to be working? Is it the right? Yeah,
1: yeah, you're right. And and AdWords, AdWords is not for the faint of heart. You know, you said a couple of interesting things that I want to follow up on. You know, one, we were talking earlier and you mentioned that private equity, I don't know if you use the word cutthroat, but it's a very competitive space, it right? Is. It but, really is. but in the marketing side, it feels like the industry in some ways is still in its infancy. So there's a lot of low hanging fruit, you know? Whereas mm-hmm. you mentioned like a HubSpot or some of these tech companies, you know, they know their cost per user acquisition, they know their churn, they know their LTV. If you start applying these concepts, in the asset management world, in the private equity world, and you know well, what's 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 a user LTV? You know, in, in the accredited investor space, what's the LTV of an investor? That's right. Um, if if you if you're even asking that question, you're probably ahead of the ball game. But the interesting thing, right. back to that kind of top level decision: Are you going to embrace marketing or not? I'm thinking that the the companies that do, they're going to own that entire relationship with the end investor. You're going to have a direct relationship. You know, I'm thinking like, I'm an LP in five or so different funds. Mm-hmm. So like I'm an LP in an origin multifamily fund. Mm-hmm. They emailed me directly. They communicate with me directly. If mm-hmm. I invest in another fund and then a third fund and a fourth fund, or, you know, I'm in an opportunity zone fund. So when that comes to fruition after 10 years and I get my capital back, plus a lot more, hopefully. Mm-hmm. I can recycle that right back and they own that relationship. Whereas if it's all through a broker-dealer network, you know, ultimately you don't really own, you don't own that, right? That's right. You're renting it.
0: That's absolutely right. And I think having the direct access to these firms and um, the people that are leading and running the firm, that's super important. And, you know, one thing that you said that kind of, you know, made me think about something is, you know, marketers in this space. So, as I mentioned, you know, there's a lot of opportunities for people with the data analytical skill set, um, most likely coming from other industries to this. Mm-hmm. Um, here, So, I love marketers. Like, I really do. Um, you know, I think that we're very creative. But I would say if I can provide one constructive criticism with people that I see in the space right now. Is that they still don't have the skill set to analyze data? So hmm. I think that's unfortunate because a lot of marketers, you know, got into this industry and they come from you know the collateral world, like the old school marketing, which is great, and mm-hmm. you know they can talk the talk. But when it comes to actually sitting down and you know looking at the data, that's where there's a bit of a um, it, it, there's a bit of a gap. So I really encourage my hard,
1: And I have to say, Angela, it's hard, you know, AdWords. I'm terrible at math. (laughs) You
0: know, you you learn, right? It's one of those things that one thing that's important is, you know, it's not just you, right? Like you have to have the right team of people. And what I've been lucky so far is that, you know, with my team at Urban Catalyst and here at FNRP, I have a great, like, you know, group of people with me. They can really analyze the data with me. They get it. Angela, is
1: it the same in your experience? Is it the same like left brain versus right brain? I enjoy both sides of it. Like the creative the creative part of me loves the the story brand, the messaging. I'm, you know, creating a landing page. I want to nail the messaging. I want to nail the copywriting. And then there's another part of me that, you know, I'll dig into AdWords. I'll look at the data, but like I have to admit, I'm not like the most mathematical person. Like I'm I'm very, <laughs> I
0: <feel you. laughs> very basic. I think it's it very complicated. I think you need both. You need both sets of skills on your team. And um, you know, as like the CMO or the VP or the head of marketing, you have to be able to analyze um, and do both. I think you have to have understanding because positioning and creative, super important because that's what's gonna draw people's attention. And then, you know, based on their behavior, that's where the data analysis comes in. Um, but I think a lot of marketers in this space are still thinking marketing, you know, equals events. Marketing equals collateral, which are really important functions. Don't get me wrong, it's important. But mm-hmm. if you want to move up and you really want to be leading the team, you need to just, you know, really diversify your skill set that way. And um, again, maybe, it, you know, if you just have some understanding of it, and you have the right people behind you that ultimately that's what makes you makes you successful. So getting the right people, um, you know, um, that you get to work with, which I, you know, luckily I have currently at FNRP. I mean, it's really good. We have some, amazing people that put successful events together, which are important because it's all about the relationship still. So that is super crucial. And I have um, data ninjas, like data scientists, Mm. you know, making sure all the integration is flawless and they're looking at the data. And I have amazing creative people who can put together postcards and collateral that really stands out that when you look at it, you go, oh, wow, this is really clean, very classy, just minimalist design, but you get The right points you know you understand um and
1: you're you're talking about i mean what i'm hearing angela is an investment in i don't know what the word is it's almost like institutional level marketing right it's not a mind it's not a mindset like we're gonna hire a college intern to do some marketing it's more like no we understand just like for an underwriting team or anything Mm -hmm. else we we need multiple skill sets here And we need to invest in this to execute at a very, very high level. That's what I'm hearing about FNRP.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's the only way you'll be successful. If you just have one team of marketers that are just creative without the analytical side of it, Mm -hmm. it's just really hard to be successful and vice versa. You can have all the analytical people, but if your product is not attractive to people and you're not communicating that clearly, and frankly, if your marketing materials are ugly, no one's gonna buy it. You know, I mean that's still <laughs> matter, you know. So
1: Well, let's uh, let's talk about that differentiated product. So this this to sure. me really hits home. And and I had Chris Sullivan on the show a while back, and we talked about the story brand, the power of story, and he's in communications, which isn't marketing, but you know, it's complementary to marketing sort Absolutely. of involved in the same way. So my my experience with marketing. This is actually one of the most frustrating things, but it could be. I guess it could be a good thing depending on what your product is. If you have a really good product, and you understand what makes your product unique, mm-hmm. it almost is like marketing is easy,
0: right? You know, like
1: you can That's
0: almost right. you just, it speaks for itself. It, it really does,
1: exactly. But I, I think you know, in the real world, for for most companies. You know, if you're not Tesla, if you're not Apple, if you're not, you know, one of the exceptions, it's a lot harder. And I always use the phrase that, you know, the, the cobbler's children have no shoes. Mm. And what I mean by that is if I'm looking at someone else's company as a marketer, mm-hmm. I think it's relatively easy for me to analyze it and say, well, that this is what makes you unique, or at least from from the outside looking in, it appears that this is what makes you unique or your product unique and differentiated. It's very hard to do that internally looking Mm -hmm. at your own product. Mm -hmm. And honestly, the more deeply you are uh, into it, you know, or maybe the longer you've been doing it, it's, it's almost impossible to see it with objective eyes.
0: Oh yes. So
1: talk about that, you know, that process. How does, how does a how does any company, you know, not, I think FNRP does this actually quite well, from a recent presentation I saw from FNRP, but how does any company even go through this process where they can objectively figure out what makes us unique? How do we communicate that in objectively? What will resonate with consumers, with investors?
0: So that's a great question because I think, you know, traditionally, um, I think one or two people typically would be uh, strategizing on this and then cascade a message down. Mm. But here, and I think you know something that other firms can and should do is this. We need to get marketing and investor relations involved early on in the process. So you know let's talk about you know marketing, this is a messaging that we're putting out there on our landing pages and things like that. And the ones that get the most engagement and traction, um is when we talk about these specific bullet points investor relations sales what are you listening to like what are you hearing from your investors are they resonating and if you know they have questions about the track record or others like should we be promoting that more and when you ask them how did you hear about us what do you think um are you looking at any other competitors and if so like you know what made you more interested in fnrp getting those questions answered and putting all of that together. I,
1: I love that, Angela. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I just love that. You know, Oh, good. <laughs> by, by, well, I love, you know, we, we kind of as marketers, we're kind of self-centered and we're like, hey, sales needs to align with marketing. But in a lot of ways, it's the other way around where mm-hmm. your salespeople, your investor relations people are going to communicate to you. Here's what our investors are talking about. Here's what they're asking about. That's right. That that really should probably drive the marketing as much as anything else, right?
0: Absolutely. And honestly, at FNRP, that's what I love about FNRP is that we have an amazing leader that's, you know, leading the uh, investor relations team. And he's really, uh, he gets marketing. He understands it. And so he really encourages his IR um, you know, professionals to communicate with marketing. We have an open teams channel where we would be talking about, hey, you know, these questions keep coming up this week. Marketing, like, do we have any materials on that? Can we create some communication to, you know, um, I guess, uh, to address those concerns, if any? You know, so things like that. And that open communication is so important. And I always tell um, sales and, you know, IR, like marketing is here to support you guys to close the deal. So anything that you need from us, we're here. Don't be afraid to, you know, come to us and ask us to, you know, draft an email or draft a response or maybe do an ad hoc Q&A or, you know, things like that because we want to know what you're hearing and help address it. It's not so much top of the funnel where Mike just sends out emails and say, Oh, we're done. (laughs) No, that's just the start of your job. Like that's, you know, IR has to tell us what's going on. So I think that alignment is important. And then the executive team getting together and saying, okay, so what exactly, you know, are we saying here and getting everybody's eyes on that. I think that's important. Anytime you want to rebrand yourself, or have a different thesis. Um, It's important to get different perspectives. And I think oftentimes firms just think, well, you know, just um, if the CEO gets it, everybody gets it. Like, well, no, the CFO has to get it. You know, CEOs have to get it. CMOs, everybody at the executive level should get it and understand it. And they can repeat that outside and and then get the internal buy-in with marketing and sales. And then talk about it as a company, just all hands Hey, you know this is our positioning and things like that. Does this drive with you? Do you understand? Because unless you have the internal buy-in, how do we expect to get external buy-in? If your own people don't even get what you're doing, I mean, I you just you can't help it. How are we gonna going to, you know, how can we, uh, um, you know, convince our investors? We don't even believe it. You know, so I always say yeah. that internal buying is really important and allow people to ask questions because you'll be surprised. Someone in accounting can add a lot of value. They might be like, oh, you know,
1: no, not not accounting, Angela. <laughs> I mean, any any other department. No, I'm
0: kidding. <laughs> Someone in HR. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you know, w- what you're talking about is, I mean, to me, it's a sign of a very healthy business culture, company culture mm-hmm. where you know, you're not thinking quite so compartmentalized, so departmentalized, maybe I should say, where this this is marketing, you know, this is my turf or that's sales, that's your turf oh, right, or, right. or whatever, you know, kind of keeping your eye on the ball, that holistic picture. And one comment that you made, you know, if, if we don't understand and believe this internally, how are we going to sell it externally? But to me, right. that's like the whole ball game maybe i'm oversimplifying but i i do think this is true if you know if you're out doing public speaking giving presentations investor presentations even on sales calls if you understand the story and it's better if it's simple you know simple stories probably sell easier But if you understand it and believe it selling i think is almost easy i mean i know it's never easy but you know, t- to me, a CEO, job number one is always sales, right? Mm-hmm. Like, even, if, right. You're not, even right. if you're not technically in the sales department. So, just understanding what makes you unique. And if you actually have a differentiated product, how is it different? That's how right. is it serving investors? Just merely communicating that is is probably the most single, most powerful thing you could do. And then, of course, mm-hmm. AdWords, data. All, I'm all about all of that. But
0: Absolutely, you got to
1: keep the main thing the main thing, which is start with what makes us unique and differentiated, right?
0: That's the number one question. Everything else can fall into its place, but once you get that messaging right, I mean, that's what dictates and should dictate your paid channel, you know, campaigns. Because if you get those, you know, talking points um, right and on the same page with everyone then that gets cascaded down to your ads, your events and brochures and things like that. So I feel like a lot of organizations don't spend a lot of time And energy and resources on that. But I highly recommend that you get your best people together and work on that positioning, um, you know, thesis and document and spend some time to, you know, do some analysis and also look at your competitors. You know, there's um, a lot of firms that are doing things really well that I'm always, you know, looking at what they do in marketing and really get inspired. And I also encourage marketers to connect with other marketers and say, hey, you know, I want to pick your brain on this because we're not competing with each other. We're you know, we're really learning from each other. And I think while this industry is competitive, I think one advantage as a marketer is that, you know, it's just, you can pick people's brain. And from my experience, people, marketers, we're always happy to talk, you know? <laughs> so.
1: just, you just have to <laughs> just stroke our egos by telling us that we're very smart and you want to pick our brain. That's all it takes, go. right? Yep, <laughs>
0: yep. all, all <laughs> I'll, I'll free up a half an hour in my calendar for that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, as, as long as, I always say, Flattery works just as long as it's sincere flattery, it all it works, you know, so I just try and keep it sincere. But let's talk about I I know we're almost out of time, but, you know, for other firms that are listening, for other aspiring marketing professionals that are listening or even, you know, some of our listeners are GPs and Mm. they may be a one or two person shop. They may be having success, but they don't have a huge team of marketing professionals under them. What are, you know, what are the challenges they're facing and what do you think are the opportunities, especially for the smaller, more boutique sponsors and asset managers?
0: Mm -hmm. I think for smaller boutique firms and sponsors, I say that one of the first um, and best investments you can make if you want to start marketing and build more scalable like marketing campaigns is to get someone who understands digital marketing and who can really who's more of a generalist but gets that digital marketing aspect because you can always outsource, con- you know, um, writing. I mean, not content, strategic writing, to be honest, that's part of the positioning, but simple marketing emails and things like that. And you can get the graphics element and things like that. But someone who is very process oriented, who can build an ecosystem behind um, uh, like for the company, not behind for the company and who gets like HubSpot, MailChimp, you know, those CRM platforms. Someone who can build all that and can kind of oversee everything. I think that's the first place because if you get a generalist who kind of understands everything, but with um, skill set in digital marketing, and they really think about okay, what's um, you know what makes us different, and you know actually I take that back, digital marketer, but the positioning has to be number one. To be honest with you, like yeah. it has to be. Okay, so, you know, you want, let's say um, I'm the first marketing, uh, you know, hire, I'll be asking, okay, so tell me about you guys. Like, what business do you have to be in this business? What's your track record? Well, why do you think that, you know, people should trust to invest their hard-earned money? Tell me about that. And what are some products that you have that are different from others? What's the unique differentiator? So someone who can ask those questions. And based on that, a generalist who can kind of build a small team or, you know, who has expertise to build a CRM system where you can have some scalable, um, you know, processes like building email campaigns and things like that. So I think that's really important because, you know, now that I think of it, if you just have someone who can build ads and things like that, sometimes from what I've seen, they just kind of put some keywords together and just, you know, blast it out and launch those ads. And then later on, you have to backtrack because whatever you said has nothing to do with the company. (laughs) <laughs> right. Well, so, you,
1: <laughs> Angela, what what I'm hearing, I I think, and I agree with it, is it's almost like crawl before you walk, before you run, which is get mm-hmm. the, get the messaging and positioning right. And then mm-hmm. you mentioned setting up, you know, having a CRM, mm-hmm. which is like basic tracking, and then basic digital campaigns. To That's be right. honest, to be honest with you, if you do those three things, positioning and you know the story brand stuff. The positioning mm-hmm. and basic messaging, uh, basic CRM system and and data analysis system, so that you can you know analyze lead flow and where it's coming from and ROI and all that, mm-hmm. and then basic digital market. And you know, t- to me, just getting the basics right in the major channels. You don't have to do every channel. You don't that's, have to. You don't have to be on Facebook. Like, that's I mean, I, right. honestly, I I don't even bother usually anymore. I mean, I might, I might not, but you do need to be on AdWords most likely, but you, you know, so you're, you're just talking about a football analogy, basic blocking and tackling. That's that's the the low hanging fruit.
0: Absolutely. And when you get the basics, right. And it's interesting because a lot of people don't, that's the crazy part. You just have to get the basics right. And then you can scale and go into other, you know, channels, but just do one thing at a time and want that one thing. Well, and just, you know, build a good campaign on AdWords and see how you're segmenting your audience and get the messaging right. Just, you know, rinse and repeat. And once you see some traction, then you go, you know, let's look into um Instagram or Facebook. And before you even do that, it's like, well, is the audience there? Because nice. these platforms are great. But I mean, I don't think you're gonna find a lot of high net worth individuals on TikToks with teenagers. You know, like things like that. Uh, yeah. So you really have to take a look at it because um, the product can be great. But if it's not the right audience and, you know, if it's not targeting the right people, there's really no point. So
1: 100 percent. And I mean, it, it's almost good news, I, I suppose, for mm-hmm. us in, in this industry. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, you you probably need to be on LinkedIn. You definitely need to be on AdWords. You definitely even before those, I'd say you need email, right? Email never goes right. out of style, you that's know, and right. Right. your CRM, but, but you absolutely don't need to do everything. I mean, I think right. that's great news.
0: One thing at a time, one yeah. thing at a time and do it well.
1: Yeah, I, I love it, Angela. Words of wisdom to live by as marketers, but also as entrepreneurs. <laughs> and, and I b- before I let you go, I, I also want to plug FNRP because a lot of the things that we've talked about in terms of messaging, product mm-hmm. differentiation. I think your team did an amazing job with your recent presentation at Alts Expo. So Great. I'm going to plug yeah. my own website, wealthchannel.com, but everybody should check out specifically that FNRP presentation. Um, I, I thought you really nailed the, the messaging on you know what makes FNRP unique. So congratulations on that. Yeah, but that right. being said, where can our audience of financial professionals and high net worth investors go to learn more about FNRP?
0: Sure. Um, You can visit FNRPUSA.com and you'll get access to the deals, our current offerings and learn more about our track record and things like that. So it's FNRPUSA.com.
1: Thanks, Angela. I really appreciate you joining the show today.
0: Thank you. It was a pleasure talking to you. This was a fun topic. So thank you for inviting me.
1: Absolutely.
0: That's it for today's show. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving us a rating and review to help spread the word to other investors. And we'll be back soon with another episode.